My name is Sarah J. Egan. I'm a SAG-AFTRA actor and a pre-WGA writer, and I am The Hustle. Welcome to the Hollywood Hustle Podcast, a weekly show where an aspiring actor and screenwriter set out to educate and inspire artists and entrepreneurs all over the world with the stories and challenges of those hustling towards success. Welcome to episode 91 of the Hollywood Hustle Podcast. I'm your co-host today, Michael Lutheran, and thank you so much for joining us again or for the first time ever. Yay! As we dive into a fantastic interview with actress, writer, community philanthropist, and amazing human being, Sarah J. Egan. Before we dive into the interview, though, I wanted to wish all of you from the bottom of my heart, happy International Podcast Day. This may have been officially yesterday, Monday, September 30th, but the amazing thing about podcasts is that you can listen to them whenever you feel like. So keep that podcast hustle going. We wanted to give some shout-outs to fellow podcasters who've been on this show. Megan Fitzmartin's superhero audio drama Red Rhino podcast, Inside Acting podcast with Trevor Algott and A.J. Meyer, Story Matters podcast with Kurt Mega and Mike Tobias, Boss Please with Megan LaMontagne and Jillian Leff. We also have some upcoming interviews with some podcasters, including Melinda Hale from the We Need to Talk podcast, and that is hashtag We Need to Talk. And also Mike Marino from the Actor CEO podcast. Other shows that inspire us include Children from Tandu, Pod Save America, Off Camera with Sam Jones, TED Radio Hour, and so many more. What podcasts are in your feeds? We'd love to know. Tweet us at LA Hustlecast and use the hashtag Podcast Hustle with your favorite shows, and we'll go ahead and retweet that to our followers. Also, I wanted to share some recent wins from the League of Hustle community. Shout out to Jack Zulo, whose L.A. theater show with a little help, It's John Belushi, is going to be brought to New York City this December uh, for a performance run. Congratulations, sir. Former guest Grace Gordon has launched her own podcast called The Art Life, along with her friend Alexandra Robinson Burns. And finally, props to listener of the show, Deborah Lee Smith, for having her film Here a While world premiere at the Napa Film Festival announced by The Hollywood Reporter. Super cool. So congratulations, Deb, to Grace, to Jack, and all of you guys making big moves in your hustle. Congratulations. Now, if you've got some hustle wins, share them with us on social media. Again, on Twitter, we're at LA Hustlecast. And on Facebook and Instagram, we are at Hollywood Hustle Podcast. You can also email us at Hollywood Hustle Podcast at gmail.com. But better yet, if you want to send us a voice message that we can share with the League of Hustle in a future episode, download the Anchor FM app or visit our homepage, uh, favorite our show, and send us a voice message directly from there. It's that simple. Talking all about podcasting and everything, let's get to the interview. Sarah J. Egan is a SAG-AFTRA actress. She's a pre-WGA screenwriter and an article writer for the popular online resource Miz in the Biz, and she loves supporting local charities and organizations. And she has lived in L.A. for five and a half years. Congratulations! Sarah's journey started on the East Coast, but she primarily grew up in Minnesota. She went to undergrad in the Midwest and then moved to Seattle to pursue a career in theater. And while she was out there, she started to audition for some commercials as well as some independent films. 
but Sarah always knew that she wanted to be on television. So with that, she set her sights on Los Angeles. Joining Daniel is guest co-host Lennox Knight, who traveled from Las Vegas for this interview after working overnight at a convention. So many thanks to Lennox. We begin our interview with Sarah J. Egan explaining how she prepared her move to Los Angeles. Let the hustle begin. Yeah, so I actually had the opportunity to come down to LA for six weeks. Yes, I sort of sought out an, an opportunity, but I was hired to nanny for six weeks for a family that was going to be here temporarily. And I thought, great, I'm going to come down. I'm going to take classes. I'm going to see if this is where I want to be next. That's a, such a useful tool. A lot of people don't have that. They just jump in. So you already kind of knew like had your feet wet a little bit. Absolutely. Yeah. And while I was down here, I actually took a class. It was like a five-week class with Bonnie Gillespie. Oh, who yeah, yeah. at the time I have was, her book. I, I've done uh, workshops with her. She's great. She is. Mm-hmm. She's wonderful. Um, I actually have an essay in her latest book about um, starting in a smaller market being Seattle. Um, but yeah, I took a five-week class with her and she really just broke down the industry in a way that made sense to me. It felt really tangible. It felt doable. Um, and I was taking classes with an acting coach and, um, and I guess I just sort of dispelled some of the myths that I had heard about Los Angeles from not living here. Um, you know, most of the other places that I've been, you hear about LA and it, it's like everybody is just out for themselves. Um, nobody is really nice or welcoming. Everybody is um, really cutthroat and fake. And that wasn't what I experienced at all. I experienced that everyone was just so genuine. Everyone was just trying to (laughs) make it in the industry and and were more than willing to talk to me about their experiences and um, and that everybody were were just people, you know, and uh, yeah. And, and so I knew that this was what I wanted to do. Getting in with the right groups is so very important because you do see some of those people and they're kind of like off on their own. You're like, OK, you go do that. All of us, we're going to work together and we're going to create something and be uh, a family of entertainers who all just want to succeed together. And I find that very beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. Is there something you feel after you've been here for five and a half years that you've learned now that you wish you had known then that you think would have helped you even more when you came out here? Yeah, I, like you said, I feel like I came out here with uh, ideals about (laughs) if I just worked hard enough, you know, it was going to take me a year to get on a show or something. And, and that's just not the reality, especially um, coming from a smaller market where it's much easier to make a splash and make a name for yourself, Los Angeles is just so saturated with actors and and many people who are new and just flooding in and don't necessarily last. And I feel like a lot of casting directors and producers, they know that and they're sort of tentative to be working with brand new actors uh, because they don't know if you actually have what it takes to stick it out. So learning that there was definitely, there's just time that you have to put in. You have to show that you're going to stay here. You have to show that you're going to be committed. And that was kind of a difficult concept to grasp. It has a weird like military slash like sports feel to it where people like test you. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. can you, can you stick it? Mm-hmm. Like, it can like you hazing. handle it? Yeah. It's weird. It's weird <laughs> yeah. how it's like, 
it's a business and it's a weird industry already, but there's this weirdly connection with like how people like athletes treat other athletes when they come in or the army treats people like, can you stick it? Can you make it through here? And it's almost is a testament to you when you move to Los Angeles. Like, can you, are you going to be here for the long haul? And when like, you make it through, they're like, okay, they passed. They're in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and from a business perspective, you know, writing has, has opened my eyes to a lot of the business side of things. And, and it's totally understandable that they don't want to be investing in people who aren't investing in themselves. And so that's something that, you know, you have to be putting money into your career, which is really hard when you first get here and you're not working. And um, yeah, so it's a it's a delicate balance that you have to figure out a way to navigate. I do think working in something that also like writing while being an actor, like I'm in a writer's group and I've also like done some producing on movies. You see it from the other side and also mm-hmm. how like the writers and other producers are like, oh, when actors do this, it drives me crazy. And you're like, okay, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Don't, don't be that person. Don't mm-hmm. be that. Mm-hmm. Mm, absolutely. So moving kind of on to like your profession, the the acting side of your profession, what, where did that bug hit you? Was it, I, I, I remember, if I remember correctly, I read that you were like, when you were three, you were already a ham and just performing. <laughs> I was dancing. And just doing, okay, gotcha. Mm-hmm. So, so that's kind of where it started. How did it evolve to where you are now? It feels like it's just always been a part of me. <laughs> I actually remember asking my parents why they put me in ballet when I was two years old. <laughs> and my mom said, you insisted on taking ballet classes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I danced uh, until college. I, I choreographed after that. Mm-hmm. I started doing plays in elementary school, honestly. And, and I was always playing pretend in my bedroom and dressing up my little brother, which he's going to hate that I said that. <laughs> um, I went to undergraduate. One of my majors was theater and uh, just thought I was going to be performing on stage. So it's just always, it's always been there. Now your other th- uh, major was neuroscience. Was that a backup plan or was that just something you were super interested in and you're like, hey, it works both ways? Yeah, both. Um, I, I've i always loved the sciences and I was actually three years advanced in math growing up. Um, and when I was thinking about going to college, only studying theater felt so limiting. Um, college really felt like a time where I could take the time to learn whatever I wanted and I really loved science. Um, I realized that all of the science fair projects that I had done had to do with the brain. Um, and neuroscience was an emerging field. There were maybe a dozen colleges that were starting to offer majors. And um, neuroscience was a combination of chemistry and biology and psychology and the brain-body connection, which I was already interested in because of dance. Absolutely. Yeah, like I also dance. I was going to say, like with dance, there's a lot that like in your brain, if you can envision it and mm-hmm. then you can put it into your body, like it's a very fascinating combination. Yep, absolutely. Yes, I studied it because I was interested in it. Um, I thought I would get more into the psychology side of things and I ended up really liking the microbiology side of things. Um and and yeah, I I guess it was kind of my backup. Nice. I mean, that's that's awesome though. That especially because it does connect to acting in a way again mm-hmm. with that mind body uh, 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 psychological aspect to it. Yeah. I I almost minored in psychology just because 
I, I'm, I'm super fascinated by how people work mm -hmm. and what makes them tick and how they are who they are. Yeah. Um, which is obviously naturally led me to doing this and just being super nosy <laughs> yeah. and asking people questions. Like I think that goes together. Like yeah. At 15, I was like, am I going to be a psychiatrist or a performer? And I was right. like, mm, mm -hmm. performer. A performing psychiatrist. <laughs> yeah. And I will say that my theater professors loved that I was a neuroscience I'm major. Sure. And my neuroscience yeah. professors were like, you do theater? I mean, okay. You know? <laughs> yeah, so I mean, science. I guess yeah. that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> Nerd. Yeah. <laughs> but, I, I, you know, I think also when it comes to, like, directing something, uh, you know, for me, it's always where I've been able to, like, ask those questions to actors of look deeper, like, not just what is happening, but why is it happening? Mm -hmm. And then why is that happening? Mm -hmm. Because there's a, always a why behind the why. And 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 asking those actors to delve per further into whatever the characters past and just reading more into the dialogue and the action, I think is super incredible when you have a little of that burning edge and desire and knowledge of the mind itself and how it ticks. Yeah, and the, the different types of minds and egos and all mm -hmm. that stuff. I think it's incredible. Uh, what were some of your inspirations growing up acting wise? I mean, who who inspired you to kind of keep pursuing this? Who supported you? Who were there other actors that you really looked up to? First of all, my parents have just always been incredibly supportive. Um, you know, <laughs> I remember a time in high school when I would go to rehearsals after school for the high school play. And then once those rehearsals were over, my mom would pick me up and drive me across town because I was also in a community theater <laughs> play at the Repertory Theater. And I was uh, in rehearsals for both shows. And um, my mom would come to every performance that she could. And even in college, like uh, double majoring in neuroscience was completely my choice you know my my parents told me after I graduated that they were glad that I also <laughs> majored in, in neuroscience I never felt any pressure from them at all and honestly when I was unhappy in graduate school my parents were the ones who convinced me to leave mm. they were very like life is short do what you want to do um, it's not worth it if this isn't what you're enjoying I feel I feel very lucky for that because I've just always felt like this was a worthwhile pursuit. It was completely acceptable that I was doing this, despite the fact that I was really good at math. And, you know, my teachers were always like, oh, are you going to be a mathematician, which was not anything I ever had any interest in. And right. <laughs> I remember my brother being really into the prequel Star Wars films. <laughs> and you heard I, that here first. Uh, <laughs> Actually, really into those prequels. Oh, great, great. And I started watching the behind the scenes stuff, mm. especially with Natalie Portman. And I just loved everything she said about how she got into character, um, all the behind the scenes stuff. Yeah, Natalie Portman is definitely has been a huge inspiration for me and the wide range of roles that she's taken on and and how incredibly different they always are. And she just disappears into the role that she's playing and and I think that's really incredible. And she's not she's gonna be Thor soon. Yes, I know. <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh. I was at Comic Con when that Spoiler announcement <laughs> was made. Um nice. not in Hall H where they announced it. But could it, you hear it from across the hall like <laughs> pretty much like super stuff. So early you know we were kind of talking about like when you move here, people kind of that idea of like building your 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 skin a little bit when you're here and having to kind of stick it out and things like that. How do you feel you've evolved as an actress in L.A.? 
Oh, in so many ways, honestly. <laughs> I mean, I I very strongly believe that um, there's just some of the best training in the world uh, in Los Angeles. And I'm a researcher and I feel like that uh, that serves me really well. And so I took all sorts of classes when I first got here and that's been incredible. I also feel like, I don't know, I don't think I would have found my voice in quite the same way if I hadn't moved to Los Angeles. And part of that is... I don't want to say the struggle because I really don't like, oh, you have to be a struggling artist. Like, I just don't agree with that. But it is, there is something about the persistence, the over and over again, facing those disappointments and choosing, no, this is still what I want to be doing. And there's, there's a real strength in that and a real uh, security (laughs) that, that you're on the right path when, when it is so difficult and it's still what you want. And I think it's better to look at like that, like you said, a persevering mm-hmm. artist, not a struggling artist, yes. persevering artist, because you're still here. Mm-hmm. I it's, think it's also helpful it. when you sit and you realize like, okay, well, the guy that they already picked, maybe I don't match him because like there's a theater show I did in, in high school and they wanted me for like the female lead and they were like this other guy. They're like, but he's too short to pair with you. Mm-hmm. So we're gonna have to go with this guy. They're like, mm-hmm. nothing against you. You're yep. amazing, but like, two of them work together more. And so from my mind, I'm always like, but there's so many pieces and moving parts. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily you. You're like, it didn't fit that puzzle piece. Yeah. Oh, 100%. I, <laughs> when I first got to LA, I distinctly remember someone saying that they were part of a casting and some actress who was the first choice for everyone um, didn't get the role because she reminded the director of her of his ex wife. Oh, of course, yeah. And so, like oh, wow. just keeping you can't, that you can't control that. right, exactly. Keeping that in your mind that you could have been the best person for the role, but yeah, you're too tall, mm-hmm. and they're just not willing to put the actor yeah. on Apple boxes or whatever yeah. it is, and and it's just so not personal, and just you need to stay on your path, doing what fulfills you. And yeah. I think that's what helps people last yeah because the ones that are so internal and they're like it's me it's me it's me you you like no one can survive that no <laughs> but when you look at the big picture you're like well, okay. con- yeah constantly <laughs> blaming yourself for not getting a job is insane like mm-hmm. if you did the work you you were you read the script you you memorized your lines you went in with 100 percent you and what you could do you can't do anything other than that mm-hmm. and in the end it, like you said and like you said it's going to be a million other reasons that they may not pick you yeah and you might have a bad day because everyone does or they're having a bad day. yeah absolutely oh my gosh I had an audition once where they were running really behind and as they called me in their lunch arrived (laughs) and so I stepped back and I was like oh like take your time Mm, you know mm, I can come mm. yeah and they literally were unwrapping their sandwiches (laughs) during my audition and you're just like this is like in La La Land why I love it because like some of the stuff <laughs> yeah. that happens, you're like, yep, that's real. Yes, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And you know, like I understand they didn't want to fall further behind, but that just meant you couldn't hear my audition on the tape, I'm yeah. sure, you know, and there was nothing I could do about that, you know, so. Well, the the scene in La La Land where she goes to uh, the audition and everybody looks like her. Yes. Everybody yeah. has this, pretty much the same outfit on yeah. her. And, you know, I've had people who aren't in the business who are like, oh, that was a really funny bit. I was like, that's not a bit. It's no. Not. Like, I went to an audition for this, like, woodsy, uh, <laughs> like, uh, Alaskan woodsman character. Uh-huh. And I walked in. I had a plaid, plaid shirt, 
jeans, obviously the beard. Also, walk in. There's like 14 me's mm-hmm. yeah. in there, mm-hmm. like literally 14 other people in plaid shirts mm-hmm. with beards, mm-hmm. varying amount lengths of hair and jeans. And it's like it's not a joke. Yeah. That is what happens. The problem in this is for town. me, like I I dress kind of out there and my my the bangs and everything's a little different. Like so I'll go in and like everyone will look the same and I'll look different. And I'm like. But am I not what they want? I don't look like them. Like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I'm like, is this a problem now? <laughs> or are wrong? you an alternate choice? Exactly. Yes. I'm like, I don't know <laughs> what's happening here. They're all like yeah. blondes and I've got like an edgy look. I don't know. <laughs> are you the different direction? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes. <laughs> and it can be really beneficial to be in that spot. Yeah. So one of the things, I was, so what have you... As a person, how have you changed? How have you evolved? Uh, I mean, you mentioned kind of finding your voice. I wasn't sure if that was that was that going to like personal life also, or are there other ways you feel as a person you've grown since that LA's kind of grown you a little bit? I don't know. I mean, the the perseverance part mm-hmm. is definitely something that I feel like I wouldn't have necessarily developed if mm. I if I hadn't been here. And partly because, you know, I'm a straight A student. I figure out what you need to do when I do it. Mm-hmm. And I'm naturally very results oriented mm-hmm. and driven. And Los Angeles has taught me that I have to also be living my life. <laughs> um, I have to, you know, the first couple of years I was here, I remember just feeling terrified to leave the city mm-hmm. for fear that I would miss some opportunity. And I've started to trust that there will be more opportunities. I mean, yes, I still have to come back early from vacations and stuff like that. I I make sure that I'm not stalled out in my real life, mm-hmm. uh, waiting for things to happen in my career. I think uh, I think there was an interview you did with a showrunner from um, Life Sentence, mm-hmm. I believe was the show. Mm-hmm. I, I can't remember. Aaron Cardia. Yeah, thank you. Uh, who's also an actress mm-hmm. uh, turned writer and yes. showrunner. And I think that was one of the advice she gave was mm-hmm. go out there and live your life mm-hmm. because then you're going to have material Things to write about. To write about. <laughs> yeah. Like, right. She, she subscribes to the write what you know mm-hmm. theory. And so it's that, you know, go out and live your life. And I think the same thing can be said with like actors. Mm-hmm. You go out there, you meet different people because if you listen to a ton of actors, when they ask about, okay, how did you get this character that you played? And half of them are like, well, you know, I was thinking of like a friend I was a roommate with mm-hmm. back in the day. Mm-hmm. And he always talked like that. Mm-hmm. And this guy was always like this. And or I had a teacher who was like that. And I just took those things from these characters in my own life that mm-hmm. I found. And I so and I always find those things incredibly fascinating when I hear actors talk about like the people that built their character yeah. that they just knew. As and soon so, as I yeah. let go of that fear too, because I used to be I'm like, I can't travel. I can't do things. I just have to be here. Can't go anywhere. Mm-hmm. And I let go of that and started like living and going and doing things and whatnot. You do, you meet all these people and there's like all these life experiences now I use in like so many of the pieces that I do. And I'm like, huh, yeah. life. Yeah. And <laughs> I also think, I also think there's some sort of, energy from the universe that mm-hmm. happens when when you're sort of you're like choking your career being like I can't do anything I can't go anywhere like I have to be here and when you give space and and breath and and trust <laughs> that just because you leave to go visit your family mm-hmm. um your career is going to be over you know when you trust that that's not the case mm-hmm. uh the universe is like okay you're ready for some opportunities, yeah. you know, you're in a better place and you're more in a positive mm-hmm. headspace and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So you, and I think people can feel that too. Cause as soon as you 
you let that fear go and you stop caring is when all of a sudden you book more jobs. Absolutely. And because then people can sense it too, that you're in a good place and they're like, we want, we trust this person to send them off to our directors and to the set and everything. And for them to not be like this like crazy person that they sent to set. Yes. Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. I think one of the best examples that I have of that is uh, Michael Pena, who is Luis in the Mm Ant-Man films. Mm -hmm. He's amazing. Um, He talks about how he had a friend and he was just that guy that was just always positive and always like, yeah, bro. No problem, bro. Let's go. And he's like, and he would tell, he's like, that's how he talked. Like, that's oh, exactly that's awesome. how he talked. And he was like, yeah, he's like, I picked him up from prison one time. He's like, man, what happened? He's like, oh, man, nothing crazy. It's cool. <laughs> he was like, you got out of prison. And you're like, yeah, man, I'm cool. Like, and it's like finding those people in your life, I think, and, yeah. and being able to center those, but then taking those breaks at the same time are also all super important. What uh, overall challenges have you found just uh, that you or have seen in other people that are just general challenges you've seen people have pursuing a career here? Oh, I mean, the first one that comes to mind is money. What? <laughs> you know, getting headshots that are professional enough, investing in classes, doing casting director workshops, if that's your thing, all of these things, uh, gas, because Los Angeles is a 50 mile by 100 mile city um, (laughs) and car maintenance and all of that stuff, you know, while also having the flexibility to drop everything at a moment's notice to go to a last minute audition. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a very real challenge. No, I mean, those those are two big ones. I think, uh, you know, making sure you're on time to things and and, and figuring out like, okay, I'm I'm driving five miles, but it's Los Angeles. So that's going to take me an hour Mm -hmm. uh, to get over there. Mm -hmm. And then I have to park. And then I have to make sure the parking is uh, legal. Yep. And then I have to, have to make sure yeah. I'm not going to get towed. Uh, yep. And then I have to make sure I have enough coins for the meter mm-hmm. that's going to get me through about two hours. And then make sure I have extra coins because I have to go back yeah. or a credit card that works. And you, like, you, there's all those like little details mm-hmm. of, I don't know, this audition, like you said, could be behind. And they could be yes. 30 people behind. And so I'm, I'm supposed to be going at three and waiting till six. Yep. Like you just never know. And so it's, I think, being prepared mm-hmm. at all times for everything mm-hmm. is like, inc- and one of the hardest parts is like, is my phone charged? Yeah. <laughs> like, how charged is it? I have like four portable charges that all so do my I. phone, like a four full charges. Because mm-hmm. I'm like, but what if I forget to charge it? I got three backups. <laughs> yeah, I think I have one in my purse right now. Yeah, I do too. <laughs> Just making sure it's all there. Yeah. Uh, what would you say, uh, how do you continually challenge yourself? Like we talked about the external challenges. Like how do you challenge yourself as an actor to continue to grow, to continue to build? And even if, you know, that work is not coming in steadily, how do you keep yourself going and not getting rusty, if you will? Yeah, I mean, for the most part, I I usually stay in some sort of class because that's that's just a way to work that muscle. Mm. I put myself on tape just for fun. I, you know, do a lot of research of shows and find roles that I think I could play well and sort of play with what my version of that character is. And also I'm part of a writer's group that I started as an actor because every week they put up three scripts read live by actors. Um, And so I do a lot of cold reading. Like every week, last night, I read in three scripts. And so that's really helpful because I'm seeing new scripts all the time. I'm reading new characters all the time. Yeah, I love cold reading. It's like one of the best things. And people don't understand like what a benefit is. Because when you walk in, they're like, actually, you look like more of a Madison. Here you go. And you're like, (laughs) okay. (laughs) Yeah. And the number of even co-star auditions I've gone to where the sides that they sent ahead 
lot of time we're dummy sides and once you get there they hand you the actual script Mm. that they want you to read and you meet Uh, christopher nolan (laughs) (laughs) yeah there was a dummy director attached as well (laughs) (laughs) so yeah stuff like that and then also just you know like we said getting out of los angeles and having other experiences i mean i just uh went to iceland for 10 days and i did some things that i didn't no, I was ever going to do in my life. Like I went snorkeling in 33 degree weather wow. um, between two active tectonic plates. That's wow. so cool. That so that was a really interesting <laughs> experience. Um, and just being somewhere else, experiencing a different culture, you know, being in a situation where I don't understand the language at all. And Icelandic is so complicated. Yeah. I did not pick up any while I was there, yeah. you know, like it is just... Yeah, so just putting myself in situations that I wouldn't necessarily be comfortable in is is always just a good way to grow. So one of my favorite things about doing this podcast is I'm I'm majorly focused on writing more than acting anymore, Uh, but I do have two co-hosts who are very uh, actively acting and actively pursuing the world of acting. And so one of my favorite parts of actively acting, uh, one of my favorite parts when we're doing this show is when a guest mentions something that uh, deals with acting that piques their interest. I always know because you see, it's kind of like a dog when someone comes home with a treat, their heads turn real quick. <laughs> and really so, so like when you mentioned the cold reading thing, it was just funny seeing both of them go, mm-hmm. <laughs> hello, I'm taking this in. Yep. That always makes me happy when I yep. see something like, all right, we got good people on the podcast. So bring good information. It's always like a, a test subject of how our uh, listeners will hear Great. when they, when they go in. So I love it. Um, Daniel's just, like, how how are Lennox and Michael reacting? <laughs> Again, the psychology person in me. Uh-huh. It's a psychological. <laughs> That's great. All right, now I want you to do it differently. <laughs> so I was looking at your resume, and I was kind of looking. You know, obviously, you did the Big Bang Theory, which was a huge, I know, thing for you because I know how much you enjoyed that show, especially yeah. coming again from that neuroscience background. <laughs> yeah, That's really um, cool. <laughs> that was in this final season. Yes. Right. And mm-hmm. uh, what was that experience like being on that show, a show that you really enjoyed? Yeah, I mean, it was just surreal. I mean, uh, it was season 12. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a show that my parents both watch. Uh, it's a show <laughs> we, I, I was just visiting my my parents a couple months before I booked that show maybe and a rerun was on the TV and my dad just could not stop laughing. <laughs> and he's seen it before, you right. know, like, and so um it was just really fun. And, and uh, Maya being uh, having a PhD in neuroscience, it was just crazy. I, I asked the second AD if I could just hang out on set when I wasn't shooting. And so that was really fun. So oh, seeing cool. these incredible actors shooting scenes that I wasn't in and seeing the process. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it's a multicam. So I was on the, the stage where you know, the lunchroom at the college was next to Penny's apartment, mm-hmm. was next to the elevator, yeah. was next to Sheldon's apartment, was next to, you know, an office. And just being in that space, they had renamed the, they renamed stage 25 for the Big Bang Theory. Big Bang Theory just, stage. Yes. And just being a part of that legacy show, you know, at the, the, most episodes of any multicam mm-hmm. it just yeah it was such a cool yeah. thing to be a part of it beat cheers by one episode <laughs> beat two and a half men by three episodes i work at wb yeah. i have to know this stuff you get a you get a plaque on your stage when you're for 10 more seasons yeah. <laughs> as we always 
who was the jerk? Who was the sweet? No, I'm just <laughs> who was the sweetheart on set? No, I think that's such a great subtle lesson of uh, when you're on set, um, being respectful, obviously, because you are a guest on their home. Yes, this is their place. This is their, their the, where they live. But being, you know, not being afraid to ask somebody when you have them, like, do you mind if I just kind of stand here and watch mm-hmm. and just listen and mm-hmm. just take it all in? Like that's such a small subtle lesson of find those ways to learn yeah even if it just means observing mm-hmm. and watching everything happen and just feeling oh who's that guy what does that guy do what does that girl do what is that lady doing mm-hmm. why is she here and you know all that stuff and <laughs> and just learning those different ropes because they're always going to be i think those different parts of the business you don't understand yeah and then getting that firsthand view is always awesome yeah it's and, so cool and the director had directed most of the episodes of the show um he's emanate he's emanated he's nominated for an emmy this year for directing big bang theory yeah. i think that should um, just be called emanated <laughs> i like yes. it done yes. you know what? we're making an official right here on the hollywood <laughs> podcast it is now emanated yeah um, Oscarated. So yeah, just yeah. seeing him work with these actors, you know, some of whom he'd been working with since season three, some of which he'd been working with the entire time, mm-hmm. and then working with uh, the day players who were there, and uh, Regina King was on set, yes. and I got to see her work, which was uh, incredible. And love Regina. Oh my gosh, it was it was amazing. Yes, and I agree. Just uh, just knowing that you know they had that whole audience set up because it's a multicam and they shoot many of the scenes in front of live studio audiences. Mm-hmm. Knowing that it was probably fine for me to hang out in there and and asking, um, I had one of the other co-stars ask me afterwards like where I had been and I was like oh I was just on set you know watching and, and they were like oh I should have done that you know <laughs> but I just feel like sucker you worked so hard you know yeah. you they probably got 4,000 submissions for those roles and then called in 25 actors mm. to book them you know and um and it's so hard to get to the point where you're on set that when I am there I just want to soak everything up yeah there's no place you'd rather be you're like there's I just want to sit here yeah and take it all in I don't need to be in my trailer (laughs) I would much rather be on set watching everybody work exactly absolutely Mm -hmm. um so I was again looking at your resume uh you have a lot of other acting roles that you've done that have been in stuff like My Crazy X uh, obviously Rush Hour and some uh uh, independent films and things like that is there a, a film that you've done uh, or a character you've played that you felt you got the most out of or learned the most about it yourself or your process that you've done recently or maybe in the past? I I booked My Crazy X and Rush Hour pretty cl- close to one another. Mm-hmm. And when I first moved to Los Angeles, I did a couple of background roles just to get on set, just to... I didn't want my first time on a big studio lot to be with a role. <laughs> I wanted it. I wanted to sort of have some sense of what to expect beforehand. Yeah, what goes on. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Rush Hour was really my first time on a big studio lot with a meaty role that I could play. And it was a great learning experience. I mean, it was it was so interesting because that was a show that they shot all the episodes before they started airing. Mm-hmm. My episode was episode 10. But at that point, you know, the two guys had gotten to work together for so many weeks that it was a strong, you know, a stronger connection between the two of them. And they actually bumped our episode up to episode three because mm-hmm. they felt it was really strong. Mm-hmm partially because it hadn't aired yet, um, but also just because 
those guys were really great to work with. You know, they they asked me if I would run lines with them. Um, it was it was a lot of fun to just be treated equally, <laughs> mm-hmm. which like I, you know, was kind of hard to feel like I deserved that because it was really my first big television role. Yeah. Um, but it was so much fun and everyone was just so welcoming and just being on the Warner Brothers lot. Uh, mm-hmm. I just loved it. Um, so yeah, that role will always have a special <laughs> place in my heart. So Very for nice. you, like with Big Bang Theory, obviously you've seen all the episodes and that's a show that's been out. So doing Rush Hour, you had never seen an episode of it. How was it going on and trying to learn the tone of a show? Because every show has a different tone. It's great when you have a TV audition, you can kind of watch a few episodes and get what the tone of the show is. Yeah, I I guess that wasn't really something that was terribly difficult based on the role that I had because it is Rush Hour was an action comedy, mm-hmm. but my role Well, yeah, I guess it's based off of that. So it, that's it helpful. Is. Yeah. So it's an action comedy, but my role was very serious. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, you know, I was kind of, you know, maybe those more serious times because I was talking about the victim of mm-hmm. that episode. Yeah, and that's the piece you have on your reel, correct? Yes. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. great. Thank you. That was That was just so much fun. But yeah, so I guess I approached it like I would any other, you know, uh, any of the features that I've done, you know, like you don't have context for those. You get them from the script. So let's move into writing. (laughs) And uh, what 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 brought you from acting to writing? What what uh, kind of enticed you to start doing uh, scripts and 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 things like that? Yeah. uh, So I had been in Los Angeles um, about a year Mm -hmm. and I was feeling frustrated about the kinds of roles I was going out for. And so I ask like, what kind of roles were you going going out for a lot of dumb college girls? Mm -hmm. Um, and I was just like, I have a neuroscience degree, you know, and, uh, I was going out for roles that were significantly younger than I was. Mm -hmm. And that's fine. You know, you look whatever age you look, but the types of, the dialogue that they were bringing me in for, you know, once I said it, it, it didn't match. And so I was like, okay, well, I need to get some footage of me doing what I feel like I can do really well. And so I wrote a short film loosely based on my graduate school research so that I would have footage of me saying a bunch of scientific things (laughs) and being like, look, I can do this. I I am smart. (laughs) Yes, because I really love to play, you know, like Bones was one of my favorite shows and I would have loved to play one of the interns working in the lab. I can see that. Yeah. Um, And so so that was my first um, thing. And that was actually inspired by Bonnie Gillespie. Again, she has these 100 day challenges. And so I gave myself a 100 day challenge to write and produce a short film because it all felt so foreign and overwhelming. And just I had no idea where to start. And I was just like, well, 100 days. Let's see if I can do it. Um, So that's really how how I started that. And then about three years ago, I found myself being drawn to writing, being drawn to talking to writers. Um, I had some friends of friends who had suggested the Script Notes podcast, and I started listening to that. And even though writing felt so overwhelming and magical, and I didn't know how people did it, it, it just kept drawing me in. And and so about three years ago, I decided to start doing something about that. And the first like very basic thing that I did was a web series that I wrote 
and shot myself and edited myself. And I was just like, you know, just a big learning process, Mm -hmm. uh, which was great. And shortly after I finished that, I started writing my first pilot. And I just found that I really enjoyed it. And immediately friends that I sent my script to were responding to it. I was writing relatively quickly and, and I just... I really liked it. You know, I already knew that I wanted to be acting in television. That's really my focus. And uh, writing for television also really intrigued me. So Mm. as you learned, what did you find that you naturally were good at and what parts did you kind of struggle with? Like for me, I was really naturally driven to dialogue. Like that Mm -hmm. was always super easy for me Mm -hmm. Um, just because I always knew I never wanted my dialogue to sound like people don't talk that way. Mm-hmm. And when you, and when you, when I, re, and I'm sure you know this and other people, Michael and, and Lennox, when you read that script, we're like, no one talks like yeah, this. Yeah, no one's what? ever read this out <laughs> like, loud before. No, like <laughs> high schoolers don't talk like this at all. Uh, you know, so, and, but for me, like narration is very, has always been a challenge for me just because I have, I, I think it's a t- taking my time and really describing things. I've tr- I've had to really work hard on that. So for you, kind of what were the parts that you found natural and then the other parts that you felt you needed to work harder on? A lot of it came naturally mm. to me, she says so humbly. Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> Being an actor for my whole life, I feel like... You've read a million scripts. I've read You're a million scripts. Like, I know scripts. how this should look, how exactly. it should feel, the flow. Exactly. Um, so yeah, the actually when I had my very first table read, uh, most people... Who, you know, actor friends of mine were like, your narration is really great because like I can see everything, but it's not too long and it's not giving the actors too much direction because actors really don't like that. They want to be able to choose their own, you know, interpretations of the role. But I would say that especially like when I first started writing, you know, you you just sort of start writing the things that you've seen before. Um, You start writing, you know, lines start coming out that are catchphrases you've seen before (laughs) um you've heard a million times because that's familiar and that makes sense and Mm -hmm. so working through that and sort of finding the nuances that are your own voice Mm -hmm. um was definitely something that that I had to work to find and then then I think the same for for me also like a challenge is always looking at how to split those voices Mm -hmm. because making sure you have each character is their own person yes. and has their own way of talking. You're going to have two characters that maybe sound similar and have mm-hmm. similar ways of talking, but then you need that person that maybe has a little more of a better uh, eloquence to how they speak or <laughs> yes. a different pace and things like that. So I think that's that's also that other challenge of like, make sure no one, not everybody sounds like you mm-hmm. <laughs> and and that they sound like them, mm-hmm. not you. How, how did you start once you kind of went all in with, you know, or at least going in with writing, like, I want to do this. How did you balance the acting and the writing so you could pursue both. I sort of felt that I had gotten to this point with my acting career that I was doing the things that I knew to do. I was keeping in touch with people. I was in class. I was always working on things. I was getting representation if I didn't have it. You know, uh, all of those things were just sort of a well-oiled machine at that Mm -hmm. point. And the writing was really exciting because it was something new to research and uh, put my energy into. Mm-hmm. So so I do think it was imbalanced, but also there are just downtimes in your acting career. Mm-hmm. And so writing just sort of naturally filled that. To be completely honest, writing has opened more doors for my acting career than 
just being an actor right. ever did and nothing against like being an actor um, because I love it. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, writing has created so many acting opportunities. And in that way, they naturally balance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think when people also see like, oh, you do multiple things like that, you're a person who seeks knowledge and all these things are like they take it more seriously mm-hmm. to like, OK, this is an actual person that can bring a lot to the table. Yeah, and I feel I feel lucky to be here in the time that I am because I know that has changed. It used to be if you were an actor who was trying to do anything else, well then you're not really an actor. Exactly. And that's not the case at all yeah. anymore. Um are there anything any kind of what you'd consider quote unquote like weaknesses in either your acting or writing that you are are working on strengthening or you're looking that you feel you need to strengthen? I definitely feel like when I was first starting in Los Angeles, I, again, I'm very research oriented. Mm -hmm. um, And I I feel like when I had auditions, I would be approaching them, trying to figure out what I thought casting and production wanted, Mm -hmm. uh, instead of approaching it from a place of what parts of myself can I bring to this character? And, And I think that that's still something that I'm trying to strengthen because I... Again, I'm very type A and I want to do things the right way. And that's just not a thing, you know, I mean, doing it the right way is showing up on time and knowing your lines, you know, Um, and beyond that, it's really um, trusting that the research is in you and then letting go and playing once you're there. So you have any thought, uh, just kind of the final part of like the writing section, Um, you know, there's a lot of interesting things happening in the writing community in LA, especially with uh, the WGA and the agencies and that, that battle that's happening right now. Um, What are your kind of thoughts on the turn that that community has taken with, you know, hashtag uh, community support, writing community, staffing support. Um, What are kind of your thoughts of where that's gone and how that's happening right now? Yeah, I feel, I mean, So I know that the WGA elections are coming up and there's been some ugliness with um, with writers in regards to that. And I am not yet WGA, so I'm not privy to all the emails that I know have been going around and stuff like that. But as far as the Twitter community, um, I think it's been incredible. I think it's been so inspiring to see writers supporting other writers. Uh, I do feel like that's something that is stronger in the writing community than it is in the acting community. Um, I feel that the WGA in general is a really strong union and that they're able to take this stand that is going to benefit directors and actors and it's going to it's going to have ripples throughout the entire industry. Mm-hmm. I feel really proud watching everybody uh, move through this very difficult time. I feel very encouraged by all of the unrepresented writers who are getting jobs because writers are <laughs> recommending them for things and making those connections. Right. And I know that that's that was happening before everyone fired their agents, but I feel like there's even more of a focus on it now, especially with writers who are underrepresented uh, as far as diversity and uh, different backgrounds and stuff like that. So I feel very encouraged. Again, I know we're in a pretty difficult time right now in, in the fight with some writers feeling that not enough progress is being made and they want the negotiations to be happening in a different way. But in general, I feel like this has been a very positive 
experience and and I feel very encouraged. If you do not know what we're talking about, um, a really good place to find a lot more information about what's happening is a uh, podcast that I've mentioned several times. I know that Sarah has listened to called Children of Tendu. Um, their most recent episode, they actually interview the president of the WGA uh, to discuss this issue between the agencies and the WGA. And and they go into a little bit of the politics and stuff that's going on within the union. So I highly suggest that episode. It's really good and kind of keep you up to date on where we are right now in that sense. But I, th- I agree. I think these mixers that they've had and all these different supportive communities where I feel like I can actually like approach people now mm-hmm. that maybe I felt yeah. like I couldn't approach people before. You know, I, I saw Jose Molina, who's one of the mm-hmm. producers, uh, uh, one of the people on Children of Tindu at one of the mixers. And I don't think I would ever have felt like I could have approached him before, except at that moment and actually told him how much his podcast meant to me and stuff. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's, it really does bring us together where we're not just all in this weird, oh, well, you have an agent, so you're already kind of in this upper echelon that I'm not at. We're all in this together Mm -hmm. in the end. We're all just writers, if you really look down. And the same with actors, we're all actors just in the base and that's what we want to do Mm -hmm. um anything keeping us from doing that and making a living doing that is something we have to look at yes and and make changes so kind of going into kind of the personal uh let's get personal great a little bit (laughs) uh this is where i get nosy um so one of the most important things we talked about and we even have a whole series of episodes devoted to it is side hustles and finding those things to make money um uh, uh keep keep afloat here in l.a uh, what are some things you did when you moved here to kind of stay afloat and 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 make sure you could pay the rent? Yeah, um, I nannied. Mm. Um, I I really love kids, and um, that's work that I have done since I left grad school when I needed money. Um, and it's also work that I enjoy to a certain extent. <laughs> I'm, I'm depending on the kid. <laughs> uh, well, yes, that, and also you know when when that was how I needed to make all of my money. And I was babysitting full time or nannying full time. It was not necessarily what I wanted to be doing with my time because it's exhausting. Anyone who has children, I'm sure, can can attest to the fact that you have to be on the whole time. And I work with little kids for the most part and infants. And so it's just it's a lot of it's a lot of energy. And so that was energy that couldn't go into pursuing work in the entertainment industry. Daniel um, and I work with little kids too. <laughs> just our own. Just our own. <laughs> oh, yeah. Great. <laughs> we can't give them back. <laughs> yeah. Must keep them. We have the good sides <laughs> and and the other sides. Yep, yep. So yeah, that's uh, that's primarily what I've done. You know, other work that I've done uh, has been in the entertainment industry. Mm. I've I've had work as a choreographer. I've had work, you know, as a production assistant or you know helping out on set. Um, yeah, um, and I'm also married, so mm. that congrats can help sometimes. Humble, <laughs> yeah. humble brag. <laughs> um, yeah, so um, so yeah, so my husband was a freelancer for many years doing the work that he does, and um, two years ago landed kind of a top of his field position and he's now salaried and has benefits and like vacation and benefits, um, the golden word. Yes, benefits and perks. Yeah, and so and so that's especially more recently that that definitely changed our situation because I don't 
I don't have to be nannying. I can be putting all my energy into writing and, and stuff like that. And and I've seen my my writing career just explode this last year. So that's fantastic. That's very cool. Obviously, I mentioned earlier you write for Ms. in the Biz, uh, which is a website focused uh, on women, for women, by women. It's for everyone. Well, it's for everyone. But it is written but, by yes, women. But there's a lot of focus on, which is great. And there's some, but there's all these great information you can find in anything, of course. Yes, actually, fifty-one um, percent of our readers are men. Oh, really? According to Google Analytics. (laughs) Wow. That's that's good to know. Uh, They also have like a resource list if anybody's looking for uh, female directors, writers, uh, production people. Uh, They have a whole list of that as well. Um, When did you, how did you kind of get involved with Ms. in the Biz? Yeah. So when I was visiting LA and taking class with Bonnie Gillespie, she mentioned Helena and that she was going to be starting this thing. And so I didn't move to L.A. for several months after that. And, you know, it took a couple of months to settle in. And once I did, I if I remember correctly, I don't know, it's been so many years at this point, but pretty early on in Ms. in the Biz's life and early on in my time in Los Angeles, I got connected with her and started writing about getting started in L.A. as an actor. I also started the Hire a Ms database. Yeah, because when I wrote and produced my short film, I wanted a female DP and a female director. And I found a female director I wanted to work with very quickly. And I asked a bunch of friends for recommendations for female DPs because I knew someone who who did that, but she wasn't available. And almost every friend said they did not know a female DP. And I thought, that could not possibly be true. Like that can't possibly be true. And so um, I started collecting names of people. Then speaking with Helena, we decided to create this database of women who work behind the camera. So when people come up and say, yeah, I need a sound up, but like there aren't women who do that. You can say, here's <laughs> Actually, a link here's a to 75. Yeah. Right, exactly. Um, so I so yeah, that. that's how that started. And it's since merged into the women in media list. That's like the same type of resource. Um, so I'm not uh, maintaining that anymore. But but yeah, for a long while, I was I was maintaining that database. I, I think I remember in uh, one of your interviews, you talked about how I think somebody posted on like Facebook that they're looking for like a female director and like they had like 157 comments of like people. And it's like when anybody says we can't find a female director, it's like, why? Yeah. Yeah. So that was <laughs> how actually far, how far are you looking? Yeah. So that was my interview with uh, Sarah and Liz yeah. who do the Happier in Hollywood podcast. And they just had what was their show on ABC. The Fix, Fix. on ABC. It was a really good show. It was I so really great. Enjoyed it. I know. It was so great. And it didn't get a second season, I know. I which is really such bro- a bummer. I was broken that it didn't oh. get a second. I loved that show. Yeah, it was great. But yeah, they were saying that they had posted in, I believe, a WGA Facebook group. Um, mm-hmm. Someone had posted looking for a female director. And yeah, we're just inundated with responses, which I think is fantastic. Yeah. And again, I think is um, is very is coming out of all of the changes that are happening in the industry. So how uh, obviously you uh, had a chance to interview several people, Beth Schwartz, the the showrunner for Arrow, who has worked on Arrow since season one. Uh, As you said, Liz Craft and Sarah Fain, who are happy in Hollywood, but have written on uh, uh, Angel and so many other shows. Uh, Yeah. uh, Vampire Diaries, tons of different things like that. Uh, uh, So many other people. How uh, how did you get connected with them? I know I know I remember I think Helena message or posted for Sarah. And Liz, and that's, I believe, how she kind of set that up that way, if I remember reading that correctly. But uh, how is everything kind of set up? How do you, you know, 
contact these people that are obviously big in the industry. Be like, hey, can I interview you for our blog? Yeah. Um, so I had actually um, previously, previous to Helena mm. posting on Twitter, um, I had emailed Sarah and Liz uh, and I had gotten connected with their assistant at the time mm. and chatted with with her. And then, yeah, the uh, Helena's tweet got immediate attention, which was great. Mm. And so then things like moved forward from that yeah exactly um but honestly i usually approach people on twitter Uh (laughs) and ask them if they'd be interested same yeah (laughs) obviously yeah you know i wrote a miz in the biz article last year of tv writing panels at Mm comic-con and i started having executive producers working tv writers reaching out to me thanking me for promoting their panel telling me to connect with them after their panel and at that time one of the writers on arrow we started corresponding and beth schwartz started following me at that Mm -hmm. time um and so when i got to the point where i was doing these showrunner interviews Um, I reached out and asked her and she immediately said yes. Um, and so, yeah, that's happened. That's happened a couple of times, actually. I have some interviews in the works, uh, (laughs) that, you know, scheduling is always tricky. Um, but, uh, but yeah, uh, it's been great. I got to a point in my writing where the advice I was getting was, well, you just need to get to know showrunners. Mm -hmm. And I thought, Okay, how do you do that? Like, what what kind of advice is that? Um, but but with Ms. in the Biz, I've found a way to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, I've I I get face to face time with these people. I get to come into their office and talk to them about how they got to where they are and and see how they operate. And um, yeah, it's been great. I, I, that's exactly why we started this podcast was to meet people as well and like connect with more people and just network. And I think, but at the same time with that educational aspect of teaching other people that what they know and the yeah. advice they have, what have you, what have felt some of the top things you feel you've walked away from some of these interviews with that maybe you've learned that you've taken on with your career? Oh gosh. Um, the thing that immediately sticks out to me is talking with Beth Schwartz and hearing about the number of shows that she was a writer's assistant on that blew my mind um i if i remember correctly she was a writer's assistant on five or six shows and she was even a writer's assistant on season one of arrow and she could have been so frustrated (laughs) to have not moved forward to have not leveled up that she could have turned down that role but it ended up that five years later, she was running that show, you know, the the longest running DC superhero show that just that story just really stuck with me that, you know, as long as you're doing the work and you're meeting people, you are moving forward, even if it doesn't look like the hierarchy of, you know, writing jobs and, and things like that. I felt her first season of showrunner also was like one of the best seasons of Arrow that mm-hmm. they had. It was they had so many awesome episodes in that season. So kind of one of the final questions to kind of slowly start wrapping up. In either of these fields, acting, writing, just Hollywood in general, um, have you ever felt yourself becoming jaded of the industry just because of the what it is and how it works? And if so, how have you found your way? What are your ways of kind of coping and, and pulling yourself out of that feeling? 
Yeah. I mean, I, I would be really surprised if anyone can say that they've never experienced <laughs> that. I do think that that's a big part of what drove me to start writing. I was feeling a really severe lack of control in my acting career. And writing is something that I can sit down and do every day. I mean, I can be putting myself on tape and doing things for my acting career, but it's very different than having a product. And something else that I I do is I attend panels. I can be feeling so crappy about the industry, but I go to a panel at the SAG Foundation or, you know, I went to the Produced By Conference, the panels at Comic-Con, like, and everyone is just so happy to be doing what they're doing and the fans are so excited that we're doing what we're doing and and you know at the SAG Foundation actors really talk about their process and and everybody's story is so similar that they struggled for so long before things happened and um and that just sort of reminds me that I'm not alone <laughs> that this is like this is part of the process this is part of the journey um and I also feel like Man, I had been in LA a couple of months when I was starting to feel just stir crazy because I hadn't immediately, you know, started booking work. I decided to get back into um, charity work. And that's something at the time it was the Los Angeles AIDS walk uh, was like a couple months after I, I moved to LA. And so I started raising money for that. And, and now I work with Hollywood Heart uh, pretty much all year round. And And that's just really helpful because I'm working with people who aren't necessarily in the industry. I'm serving a community that has been very important to me my entire life, but also um, I'm not focused on myself and getting my career to the next place. I'm I'm focusing externally and and that's just refreshing in a way that um, that (laughs) staying in the grind 100 percent of the time isn't. And uh, Hollywood Heart does art education for like underprivileged youth and youth and those affected by HIV and AIDS, which is, I think it's awesome. It's such a beautiful thing. I remember Michael and I were talking about, we heard on a podcast, a lady who started a pretty much an art education theater for homeless children Mm -hmm. and homeless youth Mm -hmm. and basically getting them off the street through arts and stuff like that. I think it was in uh, Atlanta, I think was where it's located. And it was just like hearing that it's like, like just the, how art can do so many other things and just make you rich and famous. Like yes. there's so many other things that it can do that can just build people's spirits, their hope, their, their ideals and, and their confidence in themselves mm-hmm. and how important it is. And we forget that sometimes how important the arts can be on a personal, emotional and just survival level mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. Yeah. And you know, art is a really great way to work through trauma and, um, be able to share things uh, that you couldn't necessarily just tell someone. So yeah, I'm going to be um, volunteering at Camp Hollywood Hearts in a week and a half now. Yes. Fantastic. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. So that's that's been very important. Um, and again, working with uh, HIV AIDS community has been part of my life since I was a kid. It, it's been really great. It's been a really great through line in my life where wherever I am, even when I was studying uh, at the Gaiety School of Acting in Dublin, I found an HIV positive house to volunteer with. Um, so it's just this other community that I get to be a part of um, that's just completely outside of, of the entertainment industry. Wow. That's awesome. It's, well, it's a nice 
I like it's a nice end, I think, to, to the interview. Uh, thank you so much. But before we do go, we have two things that we do. Uh, one of the things that we always like to do is remind people to sometimes celebrate the small victories that they have. Because I think as actors and writers and, and artists, we sometimes look at the big picture. Uh, am I a showrunner yet? Uh, <laughs> at, am I at the Oscars yet? Things like that. And we don't look at like those small steps that take us there in either in our just general life or in our, our art. Um, are there any small wins that you have over the last week or month that uh, you would love to, to, for us to celebrate it? Yeah, I actually, um, Oh wow. I've, I've had just like eight months of nonstop work and wins in, in <laughs> writing specifically. Um, but yeah, I very recently uh, was, a semi-finalist for the Humanitas New Voices program, um, <laughs> which is, thank you, uh, which is really great. Um, when awesome. I was speaking with writers at, at Comic-Con after panels and stuff, that was something that always like piqued their interest. Mm. Um, I also, in this month, I am hired to write a feature film. It's, I, I've, I've had, I've been in talks with other independent production companies to write features, but this is the first one where I've been paid. I've turned (laughs) into drafts, you know? Um, so yeah, so that's really exciting. And then, um, last night, uh, I got an email from NBC that my spec script is moving forward in the Writers on the Verge program. Hey, awesome. Congratulations. <laughs> That's so fantastic. I'm very excited about that. Not that I'm in the program, but the next step is them asking for uh, an original sample. Nice. Now, this, the spec script is uh, uh, an adaptation of another show. Yeah. Or an episode of it. What show did you do? Can I? I, I yes. Um, I wrote a spec this year. I wrote a spec of Good Girls. Nice. Mm. Very cool. Good show. Yeah. And I chose Good Girls specifically because it felt similar tonally to my one hour uh, pilot that's been getting a lot of oh, nice. buzz. Yeah. We uh, we just interviewed Allison Tolman uh, oh, recently from, from Good Girls. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, absolutely. That's fantastic. <laughs> uh, so the final thing we have before we go, I want to thank Lennox for being here with us. Thank you so Yay. much for joining us today. Uh, on this and surviving Las Vegas to make it here in the convention. It's all about surviving. Yes, it is. And thriving. Surviving and thriving. Hashtag. Hashtag. (laughs) So before we get, so I asked you at the beginning, before we started recording for six numbers uh, that uh, you have no idea what they're for or haven't seen anything. So after Friendster and before Facebook, there was a wonderful place where people went and hung out called MySpace. Uh, you would have your top six or top eight and people would get mad if they're not in there and you'd wait forever for somebody's page to load while you listen to what if what if God is one of us <laughs> while it loaded. Uh, one of the things you, that people did on there to waste time was take quizzes that had nothing to do with no results, just things about you to tell people everything about your life that no one really cared about. Um, there was no results like BuzzFeed. You just posted it to your profile page so people could read it. Okay. And I found one of those quizzes that has 167 questions. Oh Obviously not going to ask you all of those questions, but you did pick six numbers that correlate to questions. So Sarah J. Egan, are you ready for your MySpace quiz? I am so ready. Now the number one rule here is do not explain. Okay. Just an answer and then we move on. I don't know why I personally find it funny. Okay. So your first question, what was the last phone call you made or had? With a creative producer on my feature film. All right. Name something you cannot wait for. Next Wednesday. (laughs) 
Ooh, mysterious. <laughs> uh, romantic or spontaneous? Spontaneous. Do you believe in true love? Yes. Do you believe in love? Do you love MTV? No. <laughs> <laughs> and is that still a no thing? true love there? I mean, it's around. Yeah, it's still, but they don't yeah. do music videos anymore. Yeah. It's mainly all original programming yeah, yeah. and Teen Mom. Yeah, if you had asked thirteen-year-olds, Sarah. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Oh, that's the greatest uh, channel <laughs> of all time. And your final question for your MySpace quiz: Have you ever broken something incredibly expensive? My ankle. <laughs> I mean, with our insurance uh, here in America, yeah, very expensive. <laughs> Good answer. I like the swerve there. Definitely nice. Thank you, Sarah, so much for being on Thank here. You, you have been incredibly fantastic. Uh, where can people find you? If yeah. they want to follow you, follow what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I am on Twitter and Instagram at Sarah J. Egan, S-A-R-A-H-J-E-A-G-E-N. Um, and I also have a website, sarahjegan.com, and you can find me on Miz in the Biz. If you find my name, you can see all of the articles that I've contributed. There's some great articles, folks. Go around. <laughs> and more coming. So. <laughs> nice. Uh, definitely follow her on Twitter. She live tweets a lot of things, a lot of panels, quotes a lot of people. She did a lot of stuff for Comic-Con. You can go back and read those. Some really great inspirational ideas and just things to learn. Thank you so much for being here. One of the things we always sign off with is just letting everybody know to keep up the hustle. We always kind of say it at the end of our uh, interviews. Would you like to join us this week? Yes, saying, All right. So, folks, always remember to it's okay to pull over to the side of the road and cry. You're not alone in this. Take time for yourself. Go to Iceland uh, for two weeks. Uh, snorkel between two tectonic plates. <laughs> Have a great time. Live your life so that you can come back and show that life on screen. And always remember to keep, keep up, up the, the hustle. hustle. Hi everyone, Michael here. I hope you enjoyed that fantastic conversation with Lennox, Daniel, and Sarah J. Egan. There was some great lessons to draw from in this interview. What were your big takeaways? We'd love to know. Share them with us and the rest of the League of Hustle on social media. On Twitter, we are at LA Hustlecast, and on Instagram and Facebook, we are at Hollywood Hustle Podcast. Or shoot us a message and use the hashtag Sarah Egan Hustle so we can keep track of the conversation. And again, that is Sarah, S-A-R-A-H, Egan, E-A-G-E-N, Hustle. Speaking of social media handles, if you want to reach out to us personally, I am at Michael Lutheran. Daniel is at Daniel Tuttle, T-U-T-T-E-L. Lennox is at Lennox Knight Official on Instagram. And our guest is at Sarah J. Egan on all platforms. Sarah is the second guest of our show to have contributed to the amazing online resource Miz in the Biz. We interviewed its founder and editor-in-chief, Helena Santos, last year, and you can listen to her incredible journey in episodes 73 and 74. Sarah has written some incredible articles, including a guide to this past year's San Diego Comic-Con, a three-part series with Beth Schwartz, the showrunner of CW's Arrow, and has also so many articles with resources for up-and-coming television writers. Daniel has read many of them, and we are excited to share them on our social media this week. If you enjoyed what you heard on the show today and you want to get more, please subscribe to us on whatever podcast platform you're tuning in from. That way you're always up to date with the hustle. Ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts are always welcome, but more importantly, if you know someone out there who's been working hard for their dreams, whether that's here in Hollywood or beyond, and you think that they could do with some weekly inspiration, we'd love it if you recommended our podcast to them. 
As a reminder, this podcast episode and well over 90 plus episodes are available to you for free. If you find value in this show and have been listening to us for a while, there is a way to show your support by making a financial contribution on our anchor.fm page. Just go to anchor.fm forward slash Hollywood Hustle and you can make a one-time or a recurring contribution. All proceeds go back into the making of this show. This episode was brought to you by Team Hustle. Daniel Tuttle is our host and executive producer. This episode was edited by yours truly, Michael Lutheran, and Lennox Knight was today's guest co-host. Next week, Daniel and I are back with a side hustle preview of our next interview. The cinematographer from CW's Riverdale, Netflix's The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, and the 2019 release of the remake, Child's Play, Brendan Ugama. Daniel and I also check in with one another. We talk a lot about podcasting, and we bring back the hustle support statement. Until then, everyone, we wish you a wonderful week of productivity, happy podcasting, and always remember to keep up the hustle.